0: Good to be together again. Good to uh, be able to uh, study and uh, share these things together. And I appreciate your uh, continuing to uh, focus and let's get as much as we can out of uh, this study. Seth, you want to lead us in prayer?
1: Dear God and Father of we come at this time praising you. For we know that all things are made through you and. and by you and by your Son, nothing was made that it is made. Dear God, we know that you are almighty, and, and we wonder how it is that you could love someone that such as us. We are so small compared to you, but you thank so much of us and make us just a little lower than angels. Dear God, we ask that you please be with us as we're stewards on this earth, as we manage our time. and and manage our faith dear god we ask that you please be with us and and help us in our endeavors to always grow closer to you dear god thank you so much for this time that we're about to open your word again Dear god please bless us with wisdom and understanding that we may gain as much insight from it as we can and not read too much into your word but to understand only what it is that you would have us to learn dear god but we may thank Gary for, for his efforts. We know that any good that, that comes from his efforts here and any good that might come from this weekend, all glory and all credit goes to you. Dear God, we praise you for, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.
0: All right, the fact that the Jews would not go into the governor's residence, John 19, meant that Pilate would go into the residence and he'd interrogate Jesus and then come out and speak to the Jews. So we've really got action occurring on two fronts. And uh, Pilate has said in 1838, I find no guilt in him. And uh, there has been the possibility of releasing Jesus uh, according to the custom of the feast, but the people are clamoring for it to be Barabbas. And so he was the one that ended up being released. So that's where we're at we are at in the story, chapter nineteen, verses one to six.
2: And then Pilate therefore came to Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers played with the crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and they said, Hail King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went to- went forth again, and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came forth, wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said unto him, Behold the man. And when the chief priests, therefore, and the officers, saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate saith unto him, Take ye him, and crucify him, for I find no fault in him.
0: Okay. Well... G, uh, Pilot um, does some things that on the surface don't seem to fit what he's saying. He said, I find no guilt in him. He's innocent. But what has the order done? Scourging. Scourging him. You know, so flogging him, beating him with a whip, perhaps with even pieces of glass and, and uh, metal and things like that attached to it. Not a pleasant experience at all. Is that what you do to a guy you found no guilt in? What do you think Pilate's doing there?
1: Trying to satisfy them.
0: I think that's right. I think his idea was to try to satisfy the multitude with punishment short of execution. So he'll go part of the way, we'll we'll beat him, and maybe that'll be enough for them. He hoped perhaps the crowd would see how pathetic Jesus looked, and, you know, accept his not guilty verdict. Um And the soldiers Had a little fun with Jesus too What did they do with him? They mock him? Yeah well, How do they mock him? Yeah They're pretending he's a king What do they do to make him look like a king? They put a, they put a crown on him make a crown of some thorns And put that on him And a robe around him like a king. And what do they do?
3: They spoke him and called him
2: King
0: of the Jews. Yeah, yeah. They hail King of the Jews. You know, just kind of making fun of the fact he's supposed to be a king, and they slap him in the face and things like that. You know, so it was really uh, just, just bitter mockery. And and Pilate then brings him out. Now, here he is, a crown of thorns, <coughs> been beaten, he's wearing this robe, and Pilate, who tells them again, that he has found no fault in him, says, behold the man, now look at him. Now, you know, the, again, I think the attempt would be, okay, that's enough, but what do the people led by their leaders do? <coughs> crucify him? Yeah. They clamor for his crucifixion and Pilate says, okay, take him and crucify him. I don't find anything wrong with him. You know, <laughs> Pilate is uh, you know, frustrated with this. He's, he's expecting something that perhaps is unreasonable. How many times does the prosecution like the not guilty verdict? You know, they brought Jesus. They wanted him killed. They're not going to accept the fact that Pilate finds no guilt in him. But Pilate doesn't seem to be able to put any teeth into this. He taunts him. Okay, take him yourself. <laughs> but he doesn't really release him. So he just kind of leaves him, you know, in limbo. You know, in that comments and questions to this point. All right, look what happens as a result of this. Seven to eleven.
1: Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he had he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard the saying, he was the he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where, where are you from? And Jesus Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate said to him, Are you are you not speaking to me? Do you know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered. You could, not have, uh, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you
0: has a greater faith. Alright, the Jews, when they, when Pilate says, just take him and kill him yourself, he's like, they're, they're trying again to show why they believe Jesus must be executed. And they say, we've got this law, and by our law, you know, he's got to be killed. Um, Because he made himself out to be the son of God. So there's another reason. I don't know why you have a law that says you have to kill God's son. I suppose, again, they're thinking this is blasphemy because he can't possibly be. How does Pilate feel when he hears this? Right. Wonder why? Well, if he's
3: thinking this is the son of a
0: god, he could be really powerful. Yes. And Pilate's probably thinking in terms of like pagan mythology. You know, the gods, you know, got married, had children, and you know, that kind of thing. He's probably thinking in some kind of sort of superstitious terms. But if he's a son of a god, Whoa, he better back off. This probably didn't help their cause any that they said this. So he brings Jesus back in for further interrogation. And he says, where are you from? You know, he wants to know. You know, come from some, you know, outer space planet or whatever. Some place where the gods would have had a son. What does Jesus answer? Doesn't even say anything. Is that Normal for a guy on trial? Well, it was what God's Son did, but you'd expect a person in this situation to do what? Defend himself. Yeah, absolutely. Argue his case. Jesus doesn't. Pilate feels a little hurt by this, perhaps. Don't you speak to me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know? Listen to what he says. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? It's like, don't you know who I am and who you're dealing with? I mean, how can you not be speaking to me? I am the guy who has the authority to either execute you or release you. Is there anything a little funny about Pilate saying that? Uh What's funny about that? Yeah, he hasn't exercised it. You know, he says I've got the power to release you. He's declared him innocent three times and he still hadn't done it. He doesn't seem like a guy who acts like he has the authority to release him. You know, he seems to to knuckle under to the pressure of the crowd so he can bluster about having this authority to convict or release. When it's all said and done, he's not man enough to use it. Jesus goes a different direction with that. What does Jesus say about that authority he has? Yeah, absolutely. You don't have any on your own. Any authority you've got is because you got it from God. So, you know, Pilate's maybe bragging a little bit more about his authority than what he really had the right to. And Jesus says something that might seem a little... I don't know, interesting to us. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Now, who was the one who delivered Jesus to Pilate? Judas. Who'd you say? Judas. Judas? I don't think he means Judas, though. The he Jews, might. The Jews. The Jews. Maybe a spe- a specifically yeah. or, Pharisees. Or Caiaphas. Caiaphas. Yeah, Caiaphas or the Jews in general—I think's who he means by that. But now, would you would you agree with Jesus on that? Do, do the Jews? Does Caiaphas have a greater sin in this than Pilate?
3: I tend to agree with Jesus.
0: Good for you! Excellent choice. Why is it greater?
3: same Could it be because?
0: Uh, Pilate at least believed in some way and didn't Okay. Travis? Well, Caiaphas was the one who should have been able to recognize who Christ was at least.
3: And Pilate was just a Roman leader, whereas
0: Caiaphas was the high priest. That's a good point. Yes? Caiaphas didn't have authority to God? Right yes, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Adam?
3: Because um, Pilate's authority was not, like, he actually didn't have any authority except what was given to
0: him, but Caiaphas had more. Well, I don't know about that. Right? Caiaphas wanted
3: Jesus dead out of bitterness and jealousy. Mm -hmm. Pilate was just, it was just
0: another execution for him. Yeah, who's taking initiative in this? I mean, who's trying to get Jesus crucified? You know, who has invented these accusations and is trying to Uh, coerce the Roman governor to to crucify him. I mean, clearly Caiaphas and the Jews are the ones who are pushing for the execution. In that sense, their sin is greater. Pilate just doesn't have guts enough to make his declaration that Jesus is innocent stick. But Pilate was not seeking to kill him. We recognize that there are different degrees of complicity in crime. You know, there may be several people that are involved in committing a crime, some of them more directly, some of them less so. You're probably not as implicated if after the fact, you simply provide a place for a fugitive to stay. You're still still gonna be guilty, but probably not the same guilt as the criminal himself who went on some shooting rampage. You know, we understand that there are different levels of involvement This is not saying that some sins are just, you know, they're nothing, you know, you don't have to worry about the little ones. But it is saying that, as we all recognize, there are some situations in which someone is more involved in sin than others. I think that's a pretty intuitive thing to us. So Jesus recognizes this wasn't Pilate's idea, and he also recognizes Pilate doesn't really have the authority, God does, and Jesus isn't really interested in getting into a discussion with Pilate about his kingship. Uh, he doesn't. He's not worried about Pilate's authority. Comments and questions on all that? Yes, Peter.
2: I, I might be uh, off on this, but I got the impression when they said uh, we have a law and he ought to die because he claimed to be the son of God. Pilate was afraid. I, I wonder if he wasn't afraid because Okay, he's competent to judge things about uh, whether this is a threat to Rome, but he's not competent to judge their law. If they say he's guilty, Pilate pretty much has to take their word. I mean, now they have a a reason to be upset that he cannot argue with. I think that might have
0: played into it. Okay, good point. Yes, Adam?
3: I also think he might be afraid because he's a governor of a pretty uh, um, uh, revulterous state, and he's afraid that if he doesn't give in that they're going to
0: Well, I think he definitely is fearful for his political career. I don't know if you're a Roman governor, you may always be fearful for your head as well. So I think he's got some fears in the background, and the next section will really show those. Other thoughts? I look at the next section, 12 to 16.
2: As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, "Behold your king." So they cried out, "Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him!" Pilate said to them, "Shall I crucify your king?" The chief priests answered, "We have no king but Caesar." So he then handed him over to be to them to be crucified.
0: So they play their trump card. If you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Now, why can they say that? What's their argument? He's claiming to be a king. He is a rival and a threat to Caesar. Would you look at him? And uh, therefore, you are committing treason if you do not deal with this rival to Caesar. That's what they're saying. Is there anything that strikes you as a little strange about this?
3: someone the king the people to... to... Well, that's one
0: thing. doesn't seem very kingly here, Matt. The Jews are not really happy with
3: Caesar to begin
0: with Yeah, since when are we casting the Jews as more loyal to Caesar than the Roman governor? That's a little weird. You know, it's like, wow. And, I mean, the Jews hated Caesar. Remember back in John 8 when they said, We've never been in bondage to anybody. That was kind of blind. Uh, but but it was really kind of uh, you know strange from the standpoint that clearly they were you know subjects of Caesar but they didn't want to be and now they say well you're you're going to get Caesar if you don't kill him But that intimidates Pilate. He doesn't want a bad report being sent back to the Roman emperor. After all, you never know what a Roman emperor might do with a bad report, particularly if you have a history as colorful as Pilate did. So, Pilate brings him out. He's really in a quandary. Now, he mentions a couple things here. In 14, this is the day of the preparation for the Passover. Calling it the preparation day probably means it's Friday, the day before the Sabbath. Either the Sabbath that was the Passover or the Sabbath of Passover week. But the day of preparation was a technical term for Friday. And it was about the sixth hour. Now that's that's an issue. Giving the day an hour shows that this is intended to be historical. He's giving the exact time. The only problem is we're not sure what this exact time means. Because you've got the sixth hour here. But in Mark, at one point, you have uh, the third hour, I believe, uh, and so you have kind of an issue here uh, about that in uh, Mark 15:25. It was the third hour when they crucified him. Now, if we assume uh, time starting at sunup, then John would be saying it was about noon right here. And Mark would be saying it was about nine when they crucified him. We really, you know, one of the things that, that will definitely be exploited by skeptics are contradictions in the Bible. This is one that they'd use. Well, was, he, was it, you know, what, what time was it? Was it noon like it says here? Or was it nine o'clock in the morning? Those aren't exactly the same time. How do we approach things like that? There's a lot of different approaches people take. Some people just say, well, Mark or John 1 got it wrong. You know, I mean, you can't expect them to be right about everything. Sometimes you, you miss it a little bit. Except that doesn't work very well for us. Because this is inspired by God. God doesn't get things wrong. If it was just a human document, okay. We'll accept various inaccuracies in historical you know, things and say, well, you know, they probably forgot, you know, or whatever. We can't really do that and, and stick with believing in the inspiration of the Bible, which I think we have to do. So contradictions, quote-unquote, like this, become more of a problem to us. What do you do with that, though? Any ideas? Cameron? Do
2: you think that the third
3: hour might be the third hour after he was
0: sentenced? Well... I don't know that it necessarily looks that way here. Um, I mean, in Mark, to say it was uh, the third hour, it just hasn't, I mean, saying the third hour doesn't usually mean the third hour after something. But maybe, that's worth thinking about. Clint? I was just going
2: to make a comment when we were... Down south when we were studying, John, I remember at the very beginning in chapter 1, verse 39, it says the 10th hour. He said he was using Roman time. So that didn't mean, I mean, it, when he said the 10th hour, it means 10 o'clock in the morning. So I guess I'm just trying to be consistent. This is the 6th hour, so it's maybe 6 o'clock in the morning. But it says that they just setting, or that it was just the preparation it doesn't say that they crucified him yet it could (coughs) have been three hours between when they like sat down
0: and... That is my preference. Now we have a real debate trying to figure out in John when and if he's using the time that starts at midnight, we usually call that Roman time, or the time that starts at sunup, we usually call that Jewish time and that's a very debatable issue pretty well all the way through I don't have a definitive statement (laughs) about that but I do not think it's unreasonable that John may have been using Roman time, starting counting at midnight. So, this, as they're getting ready, you know, as they're in the process of working toward the crucifixion at six o'clock in the morning, or something like that, we should not, ex- we don't, when he says, you know, if he says the third hour, don't, don't expect that that has to be, you know, 6 o'clock, exactly, you know, on your watch. I mean, we don't always use exact precision. So it may have been 5.45, it might have been 6.15, you know, whatever. We're not locked into some degree of precision that's too great. But around the third hour at that point, and by the time he's crucified, we're getting around the sixth hour. That seems very reasonable to me, that we're using Roman time here, Jewish time, in Mark. Look,
3: is there a difference between uh, Mark's audience and John's audience that explains the use different
0: uses <coughs> of Well, the problem would be we generally consider Mark was writing to the Romans, yeah. and John to whoever. So that probably doesn't help us. It's a good thought, but probably doesn't help us. <coughs> Here's another possibility. I want to throw this out. I don't think this is out of the question. It doesn't seem as satisfying to me. But, is it possible that we're dealing with something where they would generally think of things as being mid-morning or <coughs> noon? You know, and so they say it's about the third hour, it's about the sixth hour, and there was somewhere in between the third hour and the sixth hour. One of them says mid-morning, other one says around noon, and both of them were kind of rounding off. I think that can be done. <coughs> You know, if, if there was a guy who is 45 and somebody said, you know, he's about 40 and somebody else says he's about 50, we wouldn't really say there's a contradiction. in between them. So maybe it's about mid-morning, it's about <laughs> noon, kind of in through there. I, I, I think that ought to be thrown into the discussion. But I'm a little more inclined to go with the idea that he's using Roman time, what he's really saying here, it's about 6 o'clock. You can do other things with You and think about that some more. Um, sometimes we're not sure the best reconciliation of those things there certainly are possibilities for that since the Bible has proven itself so uniformly accurate to just jump into something that on the surface might appear to be a contradiction when there are good other explanations and just say no this has to be a contradiction does not seem like a very um, fair procedure do you have some thoughts and comments about that? All right, so, he, it's about the sixth hour, whenever that was, and he says to the Jews, Behold your king! You know, you said he's a king, here's your king. And what do they say? Yeah. <laughs> crucify him. So I crucify your king. We have no king but Caesar. First, they had rejected Jesus as the Christ, Now they reject the idea of the Christ altogether. They don't have any king other than Caesar. Can you believe the Jews were driven to the point of saying that? That ought to awaken them. Did they not even believe there existed a Messiah anymore? Did they not think God was their king? They have no king but Caesar. When you're in an argument, sometimes you'll go to extremes that are just ridiculous just to try to win your side of the argument. They are so bound and determined to crucify Jesus, they're willing to renounce their king altogether. (coughs) That's amazing. And so, he handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. Pilate finally knuckled under the pressure and gave in and turned him over and let him be crucified. (coughs) Comments and questions? Mike.
1: That really That reminds me of uh, 1 Samuel about chapter 8 Whenever the children of Israel They were uh, demanding a king And they were rejecting the notion Of God being their ruler Or, or their king over them Yes. And they demanded they yes. a king in that sense. And so they gave, they gave him uh, an earthly king, whereas um, instead of having God as their ruler. So Yes. Yes. Um, Nick King James, I don't know what other versions might say, they said it was the chief priests who answered, We have no king but Caesar. And I assume those are the Caesar appointed high priests. Yes, the chief priests. So I think that might be... It, yes. wasn't just the, it wasn't the mob screaming out, Caesar's our king, Caesar's our king. It's actually the, the chief priests.
0: Which is understandable in that light. <clears throat> but the chief priests of the Jews are saying we have no king but Caesar? Would you have ever expected a group like that to say that? To renounce the idea of the Messiah altogether of God's kingship over them it's pretty remarkable other questions and comments Jason
2: that's just so interesting because throughout the Gospels they're constantly arguing with themselves or not they should even pay taxes to Caesar and show any allegiance in that way to him so that makes it even more amazing that they were willing to even call him their their king
0: yes yes you know, we can be so inconsistent when we've got some sort of preconceived agenda. You know, anything to win the argument. Other thoughts, Peter? And maybe a lesson for us is
2: just because we keep at it and are persistent and win an argument, doesn't
0: mean it was a good idea to begin with. <laughs> good point. Yeah, it's a good point. Okay, how about uh, 17 to 22?
1: They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews therefore many Jews read the inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Latin and in Greek so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate do not write the king of the Jews but that he said I am the king of the Jews
0: Pilate answered what I have written I have written (laughs) isn't that interesting alright so they, they go out Jesus carrying his cross to the place of a skull Golgotha or Calvary. Why do they call it the place of a skull? The left. Maybe because they crucified a lot of people there and there were a lot of skulls there. What's the other option?
3: It the hill looked kind of like a skull?
0: That it was a skull shaped uh, landform, like sort of a hill. Which do you think is more likely? we're pretty certain there were skulls there that would be my preference, I don't know for sure why they called it the place of a skull but it seems more logical to me that they mentioned that because of the crucifixions that occurred there and the skulls that would have been left over there I don't know, I've never seen a hill and suddenly thought that looks like a skull But, but it could you know, you can't deny that possibility the reason we think that Calvary was a hill is because of this. So, if, in fact, the place of the skull means there were a lot of dead bodies there, skeletons, then it may mean he wasn't crucified on the hill. (laughs) It's no big deal. Uh, But but that's what that depends on, for whatever it's worth. Um, So, anyhow, that's where they crucify him, in between two thieves. It's kind of interesting that John uses such economy of words for (coughs) events that are so significant. John just says, there they crucify him. Wow, I mean, can you just use one word for that? I mean, we couldn't say it without exclaiming, without describing I don't think if God didn't inspire this book, there's any way somebody who loved Jesus as much as John did could just write, there they crucified him. It really shows you the objectivity. Sometimes it's like, the more you said about that though, the weaker you dilute it. Maybe the best thing to do is just say, there they crucified him. I think
3: what would happen if a Spielberg or a Peter Jackson got hold of this, just that one phrase, how, how much of the movie would be that one phrase? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. So that that's really intriguing. There were there were three people crucified there that day, and those three people represent all of humanity: a sinless Savior, a saved repentant person, and a condemned impenitent person. We don't see that here, but it's just kind of a curiosity. Um, but what we do see here in John is this a uh, plaque that Pilate put over the cross? What did it say? Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. What did he write the inscription in? Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Hebrew because... Yeah, the Jews' language that lived there, the religious language. And uh, Latin because... Yeah, the official government uh, empire language. And then Greek because... The
3: western part of the uh, empire usually spoke Greek. Yeah,
0: pretty much everybody spoke Greek. That was the cultural language. Even though for government business, it would have been Latin. And in that area, it would have been Hebrew. Everybody can read this inscription. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Well, Mm. the Jews object to that. Don't write, he's the king of the Jews... Write that he said he was the king of the Jews. That's what he called himself. You write it like that, Jesus Nazareth the king of the Jews, it, it gives the implication that he really was. Just write that he called himself that. What does Pilate say? Whatever. He suddenly turned stubborn. Got him on the cross and now he won't budge. You know, for the first time, Pilate is adamant. I think he's sore that he got maneuvered into crucifying him. And they're not going to shake him on that one. He's going to put that, keep that up there. Probably all the more knowing they didn't like it. But isn't that significant and true? Jesus is king and nothing can change that. And isn't it amazing the two people most responsible for killing Jesus unwittingly were prophets of the one they executed. Pilate says he's the king. Remember what Caiaphas had said back in John 11?
3: He was
0: Yes, it was expedient for one man to die for the nation. So Caiaphas inadvertently said Jesus would die for the people and Pilate Rather innocently wrote that he was the king of the Jews. These two men, without realizing it, really epitomized who Jesus was and what he did as he was there on the cross. Really, neither Pilate nor Caiaphas had any idea about the truth they really uttered. All right, questions or comments to this point? Yes? What do you think Paul was beating over the head that he's the king of the Jews
1: and made the sign?
2: I think
0: that he'd make signs for everybody that he pursued. Well, I, it might have been totally uh, out of the question to make a sign <laughs> like saying, you know, here's the guy that, you know, did this or did that. Even kind of as a deterrent factor, you know, here's his crime. Of course, exactly what crime is there in being the king of the Jews? I think he's trying to get a dig in. I think he knew they wouldn't like this. And it's like when you just get, you know, sort of. Um, I don't know, railroaded into doing something you don't want to do, you finally take this stand. It's symbolic. It means nothing. But it's like, okay, I'm going to get that point in. I don't know. That's what I think. Adam?
3: Well, not just that, but he's also, uh, he might have been maneuvered into it, but he's at least getting some politics out of it by putting a deterrent. Don't proclaim yourself as king in my government in my uh, place that I'm a governor of, or else this happens to you.
0: Maybe so, but I, I tend to think by his not wanting to take it down, that he's more trying to do something to get their goat.
2: Jason. Yeah, at least she are just so ruthless, they just never stop, even when it comes to, they finally get Jesus on a cross to, to have him crucified, and then they... The, that, that wasn't good enough. They've got to make sure the plaque says the exact right thing that they wanted to say. It's <laughs> <This> is amazing.
0: <laughs> good point. Other thoughts? Clint. Is
2: there, a, I don't know if you've done any studies, but what exactly, is, I mean is there any significance to the fact that it's called Gabatha and Golgotha? Like, is there any well, deeper meaning than just the pavement or Calvary?
1: Or is there any like tying back to the old law or anything?
0: I don't have an answer. The Golgotha means place of a skull. I'm not even sure what Gabbatha meant. Maybe it, I guess it means the pavement. But I don't, I don't know anything about that specifically. Verse, uh, what, uh, 13 and uh, 17. All right, other thoughts? Where does the word Calvary come from? I believe that would be like the... Latin of Golgotha or something. Okay. Golgotha.
2: Calavera in Spanish means skull.
0: Skull. So. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So that's what you got. Anybody know what me, what it is in Swahili? <laughs> All right. Twenty-three to thirty.
2: Seamless, woven in one's piece. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the Scripture. They divided my outer garments, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, He said to his mother, Woman, behold, your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So he put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head
0: and gave up the spirit. So Jesus is there on the cross, and what do the soldiers do? Take his clothes off and divide them up among themselves. I guess this is kind of the soldiers' um, tip.
2: (laughs) Uh,
0: It's kind of one of their perks. (laughs) You crucify somebody, at least you get his clothes. And actually, the tunic was seamless, and so they didn't really <laughs> want to tear it in fourths. They cast lots for who would get that, which was the more valuable. Why do you think John would give us this detail? Prophesied about. Why? It's prophesied about. <coughs> uh. <coughs> why else? Is it mentioned in the other gospels? And somewhat. But why did any of the gospels mention it? Well, what would be important about knowing this? Shame. This is completely
3: off. the that they want the clothes when they're the, the throwing away this son of God. But yet, these clothes that are worth nothing, that are bloodstained probably, uh, are worth more than the son of
1: God.
0: Good point. Is that
1: the shame of the cross? He was without any
0: clothes. Uh, that's another thing. I mean, I don't know if they left him a loin cloth or not. But essentially, to a great extent at least, he was unclothed on the cross. Can you imagine just being a spectacle? I mean, you're there. You can do nothing to shield yourself, you can't swat a fly. Just hanging there, exposed, largely unclothed, if not completely. So shameful, so humiliating. I mean, there's a lot of other things you could say. But I think even maybe more than that, this is all Jesus had. They're they're playing with dividing up his clothes, which was his only earthly possession as he's hanging there on the cross. It's kind of sad. It's kind of uh, pathetic almost that, you know, that's what they're entertaining themselves with. Who gets what (laughs) off of Jesus? Thoughts and comments about that? Is there any significance in the detail of it uh, being woven in one piece from top to bottom? I think it's why they cast lots for it. and tear it. Since it's seamless, it's more valuable. And so rather than dividing it up to give a piece to each one, let's keep this one whole and we'll just draw straws to see who gets it. Other thoughts about that? Well, you know, here you've got a few people. They're watching, mostly women, Jesus' mother and some others. Jesus, obviously, is uh, dying at a young age, and he, is the oldest son, would have been responsible for caring for his mother, wanted her cared for. What does he do? Puts John in charge. Yes. Basically, he gives over his responsibility to John and entrusts John with the care of his mother. We think this is John. Again, he doesn't name himself by name, but it was the disciple Jesus loved. I think the evidence is very strong. This was John himself. And from that time on, John took Jesus' mother in and took care of her. So Jesus, even on the cross, is concerned about his poor mother and what's going to happen to her, as much as he was concerned about himself it's really a remarkable thing and then Jesus said I'm thirsty and what did they do yeah they brought some sour wine and, and reached it up with a hyssop branch and, and he was able to receive that and, and moisten his lips enough to say it is finished Now, isn't it ironic that the one who offers the water of life dies in thirst? Isn't it ironic that the Jesus who began the road to the cross by turning water into wine now receives sour wine before water comes out of his body? You know, you see several ironies as how John... uh, does that and, and his branch also is symbolic because it was used in the Passover celebration, Exodus twelve twenty two, and this is the ultimate Passover lamb being killed, and his blood is going to spare those who have his blood on the door from death, so to speak. And so I think that again makes you think about this is the Passover, and Jesus is our Passover who, who's being sacrificed. And then when Jesus receives the sour wine, he says, it is finished, and it was, and Jesus did not die pathetically. He did not die as a helpless victim. Jesus said, it is finished, and he gave over his spirit. Jesus is not hanging there as a helpless pawn of the system. Jesus is giving his life, and as Jesus dies, he wins the victory over death and sin, And sheds his blood to release men who have been held in bondage to sin. So, this is almost a triumphant, it is finished. We have that song we've started singing, you know, that reminds us of that as well, which I think is a very appropriate song. All right, comments or questions through verse 30. Matt. Um, In verse 29, with the
3: whole sour
1: wine thing. um, that, that brought my mind back to Psalm 69 in verse 21, which talks about they also gave me gall for my food and for my first thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Now Psalm 69 is a Psalm of David and it's um, a deliverance, but it's also an preparatory um, Psalm. When with that um, after after verse 21 it talks about may their table before them become a snare when they are in peace. Maybe crap, and it goes on and so on, uh, and we, we can um, take that and go with that, I really don't understand um, why Jesus is using this uh, at the crucifixion when he's saying forgive them, they
0: do not want to do um. well, you said a lot right there, good observation I think this passage is being referenced I think Jesus is typical Maybe the ideal of a righteous sufferer. So many of David's psalms that talk about righteous sufferers are fulfilled ultimately in Jesus as the ideal. But what I would think about is this. As Jesus is dying, what is the deeper significance of this? He is conquering death and sin and Satan And the forces of evil. Jesus is putting the curse on those who are against righteousness. Jesus wants men forgiven if they'll repent. But he's also winning a smashing victory over all the forces of evil. So perhaps the imprecatory elements fit somewhat in what Jesus is doing. It is finished what is finished. In some ways, his triumph over all the forces that are ranged against him. Yes, Patrick.
3: Um, you know, I, I just I get to this point in studying John. Um, Jesus, you know, has, has yielded his spirit up. And you think about what we studied today, just from John seventeen on, how through this entire process he he's been worried about his disciples. He he's been he, he's been <coughs> praying that, that the Father keeps them. That. He's been saying he's kept them. He's been praying for them, he's worried about his disciples. He goes through this this mockery of a tribe. There's so many people totally incompetent. He's surrounded by failure. And he's the only one who's doing right. And he's crucified. And, I mean, yeah, we can look at the crucifixion in and of itself and the kind of torture, but just the emotional part of everything that's been going on. It's just. It's incredible to see what, what all the Savior has gone through in the past 24 hours. It is. It, it's absolutely amazing. And then he can triumphantly say, it. he doesn't say it like it's at a loss, like he has nothing else to say. He triumphantly says, "It is finished," and that's an amazing thing.
0: Yes, he brought this whole process to completion. He finished this. It is really, this this is part of his mission. And his mission is now accomplished he gives his spirit back to God he's shed his blood he's taken our place and now we can be redeemed Logan
3: why doesn't John mention any of these signs that accompany Jesus that like the earthquake and the saints being raised in the darkness because I would have thought especially as much as John focuses on Jesus deity and his authority that he would have mentioned that I don't know
0: Other questions? All right, how about, um, let's see, 31 to
1: 37. Therefore, because it was a preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. He who had seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you might believe. For these things were done, in the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Okay.
0: So you've got this day of preparation for the Sabbath, you've got a problem because this is a special Sabbath, a holy Sabbath, and to leave cursed men, men who are being executed as criminals on the cross, would have been sort of a desecration of the holiness of the Sabbath day, and so what do they want done? Yet, they want, him, they want the, 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 the crucifixions finished, so that the bodies can be taken down, so that this does not desecrate and, and make unholy the Sabbath day. Now, I will just tell you what I have read and understood about crucifixion. I am not positive the form of the crucifixion, whether or not it was the traditional form, or whether or not Jesus' arms were over his head. don't know that it makes a lot of difference as far as this point is concerned. It, this is a little hard to visualize, but if, you've got, if you are hanging from nails in your hands or wrists and feet or ankles, you're just kind of suspended there. What I understand is when you're just dead weight on that, you cannot draw breath because you've got to raise yourself up somewhat to open up your lung cavity to be able to take in air. You might try that. I'm not sure if we can experiment with that very well. Just hanging on something. You are going to have to raise up some to be able to take in air. Now, if you think about it, okay, either way you want to go, wherever the arms were and the feet, you know, where do you have more strength? To pull yourself up, in your arms or your legs? Much more in your legs. Your arms are not going to last very long at all. You have to just keep pulling yourself up slightly to take breaths. Your arms are going to fatigue. You're going to start cramping. It's going to happen. You've got much more strength to raise yourself in your legs. And so, theoretically, what ends up happening? As as the muscles cramp, as you tire and wear down, then, then you can push off of the nails in your feet less and less. You take shallower and shallower breaths, your lungs start filling up with fluid, you get congestive heart failure and die. That's what I've read, you kind of suffocate to death. But but because our legs are relatively strong, some people could survive two or three four days on the cross. Horrible agony. And, and so, but but what if they break their legs? You see how that, what, was that what, what, will, what will that do? Yeah, much quicker. Break your legs, then you can't, you know, excruciating pain, you don't really have the strength so you can't just push off of your feet to get a breath, so you've got to go back to just pulling yourself up, we can't do that long at all, so they'll die quickly, so this is the idea, we'll break their legs that way they'll die in just a matter of minutes, we'll take them off the cross before the Sabbath day comes, and so the soldiers do that with the thieves on either side, but what do they find out when they come to Jesus? He's dead! They don't need to break his legs. What do they do with Jesus? Pierce his side side and blood and water come out. Most people think that that was a sign that Jesus was really dead and is further proof of that. I'm not sure about that. Um, But this fulfills scriptures like not a bone of him shall be broken. About what was it originally said, not a bone shall be broken? The Passover lamb Jesus is the ideal Passover lamb, no bone of his is broken, also Psalm 34, the righteous sufferer has no bone broken. So Jesus, the perfect Passover lamb, no broken bone, and the look on him whom they pierced. So, Jesus, um, you know, really died, uh, and, and he died with no bone being broken.
1: What what was that other reference that you said?
0: Psalm 34. Other comments, questions, things you want to say through verse 37?
2: Nope. An interesting thing about the blood and the water coming out is you see blood and water
3: connected in the Bible. Like um, in baptism,
0: we are in the water, and that's how we contact Jesus' blood. Um, so it's interesting that they yes, it is, and I'm not sure about all of this. Most people think the blood and the water coming out indicated kind of a separation, and that that, that proved he died. Not sure, but. I think if nothing else, it shows he's human. I mean, some people
3: may try to justify their way. Oh well, Jesus is this thought. He wasn't ever real. No, blood and water were spilled out. You were flesh and blood. Good point. Chris? Hey, we often hear at the Lord's Supper, his broken body. What is, uh, ha- ha- do you, what well, do you say about that?
0: I would say, only metaphorically, broken in the sense he was killed, uh, maybe you could say his flesh was perforated by the <laughs> spear, but no bone was broken.
2: But, but Jesus did use that phrase, my, this is my body which is broken for you. Okay. So
3: that's where we get that.
0: Yeah. So it's broken but not bone broken. His, his life was broken. Thank you. David.
3: Does uh, this tie into First uh, John 5 you who came by water and blood? Um,
0: I don't think so. That depends on um, your view of that passage. But I think in 1 John 5 that Jesus was speaking to the Gnostics and was saying that Jesus was the Christ not just at his baptism, but at both his baptism and his crucifixion. So I don't think that was the point of that. I believe, I may be wrong, Peter, I was just looking at this. I think it may be that the which is broken for you depends on the text. Am I right about that? Know that? Yes, I think that's the case. I think that phrase is in some of the manuscripts and not all. So there may be a textual question about that. But still, I don't think it's inappropriate to think of his broken body if what you mean is. His, his his body was broken, not that his bones were broken. His life was poured out. All right, very good questions to come. And see. Uh, just
3: to go with that, what do you think, I mean, John is certainly making big deal of it in here in John 19, you know, he says, once there came out blood and water, he who saw his born witness, His testimony when he is true, he knows he's telling the truth. But he's, he's really
0: dead. I saw it, I saw the evidence of that. Okay. I think that's the point. I think the fact that the blood and water would have separated indicates his true death. His blood came out, he really died. That's what I think. Not sure about that though. All right, anything else? Uh, This would be a good place for a break, I think. Let's uh, take one and uh, we'll come back and work on 1938. Uh, good attitude on you guys' part. Love you guys. Um, let's let's look at Jesus' buried. You know, they do take him down from the cross. They took him all down from the cross before the Sabbath. They started at sundown. So as not to desecrate that holy day. And uh, what are they going to do with Jesus' body? That's uh, really the question here. So, John chapter 19, verse 38 to 42.
3: And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. He came therefore and took away his body. And Nicodemus came also, who had first come to him by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, on account of the Jewish day preparation, because the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there.
0: Isn't it interesting, kind of the response of people when Jesus dies? What two men cooperated together in Jesus' burial? What, what, Who? Joseph. Joseph and? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. We didn't know anything about Joseph before, but uh, the text says he had been a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. Clearly, he's gained courage to ask for Jesus' body and to bury it now. We learn from some other passages he actually was a member of the Jewish council. He was a higher up. But he had been secretly... A follower of Jesus. Now he comes out of the open. And Nicodemus, we know about him. Where do we read about him before? John twenty-three. What did he do? He came to Jesus by night. Came to Jesus by night. Now he's stepping out into the light himself. And uh, basically, Joseph and Nicodemus seem to have had a division of labor here with Jesus' burial. Joseph took care of the legal matters, and Nicodemus brought the spices. Now they did not go through the kind of embalming procedure that we would. Uh, They don't go through the kind of embalming procedure we do in Brazil. And uh, if you don't, it's different. You know, we're accustomed, I mean, it's not real uncommon in our culture to bury somebody three or four or five or six days after they die. You wouldn't do that unless you've been able to take the fluids out and embalm them because they stink. In Brazil, I have almost never heard of somebody being buried more than 24 hours after they die. You know, I haven't been to many funerals there, but but I went to one, person died at 6 o'clock in the morning, I think the funeral was about 5.30 that afternoon. That would be very common uh, because you have can been Around. I mean, you know, you know, can't leave an unembalmed body. Well, they would put spices around the body, you know, try to improve the odor and so forth, but they would bury uh, almost immediately as well. And um, so, how much spices did Nicodemus bring? 100 pounds. Yeah, a lot. Judas should have been there to estimate the price, shouldn't he? <laughs> um, and uh, where did they take Jesus' body? A new tomb where? (coughs) In a garden. Isn't that interesting? The garden flanks this section. Jesus went to the garden in the first part of John 18. Now Jesus is back, his body in a garden. And as we said, since the fall of the first Adam occurred in a garden, it's fitting that the second Adam redeemed mankind in a garden as well. I think that, that garden imagery is uh, significant that he mentions that. And uh, so, they put Jesus in the tomb. Now, here's the thing. They didn't have a lot of time. I mean, they've got to have this work done before sundown. <coughs> sundown, the Sabbath begins. And uh, it appears that Jesus was uh, still alive until mid afternoonish So, they had to ensure Jesus' death, talk to Pilate, get all that worked out take his body down, pack him in spices and wrap him up as quick as they can and take him off to the tomb and get home by sundown that did not leave time for as thorough a job with the burial as would have been ideal. alright, comments or questions on chapter uh, 19 All like right, that Sets us up for chapter 20, for the women